It's so, so exciting to be here. Uh, I, I want to first uh, and foremost uh, thank those of you guys who are online, you know, for connecting on this 4th of July weekend. We know you could be doing some other things, especially in this heat, but uh, you decided to take some time to be able to join us. So just thank you. Thank you for that. I also want to thank uh, Trevor for speaking last week. Didn't Trevor do a great job? You know. <laughs> He's not all there, but he's great for our kids' area, and he's wonderful to hang out with. You know, if you get to know him, he is a wonderful, a wonderful job, and uh, I can't imagine, you know, being here without Trevor being a part of this place. Uh, I want to also let you know, you know, these last 10 days, you know, I've been uh, in Montana, you know, working on sermon preparation for this next year, uh, spent four days with our elders, you know, just praying and processing for what God has been doing, what he's doing now, and what he's going to be doing in the future, and, and uh, as you uh, have been made aware, I was in Phoenix, Arizona with our executive team, Allison and Jay, uh, to escape the heat of uh, Spokane, Washington. Uh, if you didn't uh, see... <laughs> Phoenix, Arizona was literally eight degrees cooler than Spokane the whole entire time we were there, and I was loving every second of it. Uh, I want to also uh, just uh, remind you, if you're serving in any capacity in our church, please, 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 you know, from my heart to yours, please put on your calendar August 29th, 6.30 p.m. in here. We're going to have our annual vision and celebration night. I just want to make sure that you're kind of looking ahead to that, and so be a part of that. Also want to let you know one other thing before we jump in today is uh, I won't be around on stage uh, for the next uh, six weeks. Uh, this is a yearly uh, time for me to kind of take a study leave and a study break, and uh, let me be as transparent as possible. I have never been more tired than I am right now. Uh, it has been a season and journey uh, be going beyond not just this last year, but last year and a half. And so I'm just going to ask you to join you know, me in praying you know, for the filling that I know that I need for what I know God is doing and how he is leading us you know, as a church in the next season that he has for all of us as we go into this fall you know, in the days, months, and years ahead. And so um, I just want to you know, just uh, thank you already in advance for that. I also want to tell you one more thing. I know I said one more thing, so here's one more thing. Is um, our staff and elders are tired as well. I know that you uh, have experienced some fatigue and some tiredness, and so here I'm going to ask you to do something for no other reason than do it for me. Find some way to love on our staff and elders. Find some way in the next couple weeks to tangibly express an appreciation support for every person that you might know uh, to go out of your way. Now, these could be different things. Like uh, maybe, you know, you want to take them out to lunch or coffee just to ask a bunch of questions and just to provide support. Maybe you want to buy them something, you know, like a gift card for them and their spouse or family to go do something. Or, or maybe you just want to send an email. Uh, write a snail mail, you know, a card and put it in the mail, just expressing sincere appreciation and love for this team. Or maybe you can do something for them. Uh, join their ministry, wash their car, mow their lawn, I don't care. You know, whatever it may be, the strength of our church is the unity of our church as we support one another. And I'm just telling you on behalf of the staff, it's been a season. And so if there's a way that we can come alongside them in one way, shape, or form with our staff and elders, it would be greatly appreciated and it may uplift their spirits as we head into this next season. So with that, let me just pray as we jump into this subject. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your people. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this community. 
Thank you for our elders. Thank you for our staff. Thank you for the core volunteers. Just thank you for being Lord. And I pray that you would just guide, lead, and direct us as we seek to learn from you right now. Help us to put distractions, whether we're watching online or we're here on site, to put them out of our hearts and minds to be able to receive what you would have to say to us. And so we love you and we pray this. It's in Jesus' name that we all pray. Amen. Uh, We're in this second week of this series called Lessons from the Lake. Now, how many of you, uh, by a show of hands and put it in the chat, how many of you guys love to fish? Any fisher, fishermen, fly fishermen, bass fishermen? Okay, so um, here's what you know about fishing, you know, when it comes to starting or taking kids with you. You spend, if you're beginning, more time untangling your kid's fishing line, then you actually get a chance to fish. In fact, you know, um, I remember one of the first times I got a chance to learn to fly fish was on the Coeur d'Alene River, but it was in a technical spot. And in a technical spot, if you brought your reel back too far, the fly would go into the bushes and it would get stuck. If you put it too far the other way, you know, there were too many rocks and places for it to snare, and it was about blowing about 20 miles an hour with the wind. I spent four hours, I'm not kidding, three hours of that, I was untangling, untying, unhooking, rehooking, and I'm like, this isn't fishing. I said, this is just playing in the woods. This is just throwing things in the river. There's nothing fishing about it. I spent so much time untangling than actually fishing. And I wonder, do you ever find moments, times or seasons in your life where you're not really living, but you're just trying to untangle the mess in which you find yourself in. See, it's so easy to find ourselves entangled with all the things of life. And I think you can agree with me on this 4th of July weekend that our nation is in one of those seasons. You can see it, and you can feel it, and as we celebrate July 4th as the day of independence from the stronghold of England, could it be that we're more entangled now than we've ever been in the history of our country? And so before I go further, I want to back up just a little bit and just remind you of a few things as it pertains to our nation. On July 2nd of 1776, Congress voted to approve a complete separation from England. Two days later, the early draft of the Declaration of Independence was signed. Four days after that, members of Congress took the document and read it out loud from the steps of Independence Hall, proclaiming to the city of Philadelphia and the rest of the nation as they rang on and into the Liberty Bell. In fact, the inscription on the top of the bell is from our Bible. In Leviticus chapter 25, verse 10, it says this, proclaim liberty throughout the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. One of those signers is the name by the name of John Adams said this, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Probably the clearest identification of the spirit of the American Revolution was given by John in letters that we have today to his wife Abigail the day after Congress approved this Declaration of Independence. He wrote to her two letters in one day. One was short and jubilant that the declaration had been approved, but then the other you know, was much longer and gave serious consideration to the severity and the seriousness of what had been done that day. 
He could already foresee back then, what you and I know today, that their actions would be celebrated by future generations. Adams noted in one of his letters, the day will be the most memorable epic day in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the greatest anniversary festival. He felt that the celebration should be in a manner that would commemorate the day literally as a day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. The Declaration of Independence was the birth certificate, as you know, for this nation. But the men who signed it knew it could also be their death warrant when they did it. Out of the 56 founding fathers, I bet most of you do not know that 27 were actually trained as ministers, took their pledge seriously, knowing that it could mean their death by hanging. Most wars have mottos. Over the years, you know this. The motto of World War II for America was remember Pearl Harbor. The motto during the Texas War for Independence was remember the Alamo. The spiritual emphasis directed towards King George III who violated God's laws gave rise to a motto during the American Revolution, no king but King Jesus. That was the thrust And that was the emphasis of the birthing of America. And yet here we find ourselves today. As America, the entangled nation that we are. See, what you need to understand is all of us have strongholds in our lives. And if you want to untangle a nation, you must start with the individual. For when you untangle an individual, it can spread to a family to a community, to a city, to a nation, to a state, and to a nation. And so what we want to do is take a few moments as we celebrate Independence Weekend by examining ourselves, knowing that the best that we can exhibit for what Christ has us to be in this incredible free country that we live in is to start by asking ourselves, where can I or do I need to be untangled? One of the greatest stories of this takes place in the book of Mark in our New Testament, one of the Gospels of Jesus. And what's taking place before I tell you this story is that Jesus has done one of his great miracles where he has calmed the wind and the waves. And Mark tells us that not only one boat, but many boats were actually crossing the sea. And, and this is where we pick up in Mark chapter 5. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasenes when Jesus climbed out of the boat. A possessed man by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Now we know that this is an extreme example, but I think we can readily admit this guy had some issues. He was fairly entangled in life. And I'm going to bet whether you're watching online or you're here now that most of you are not actually possessed by a demon. Some of your kids are, but most of you, you are not, are not demon-possessed. 
But these people, just like you and I, we have some tangles in our life that we need to learn from this lake lesson to apply to us here and now. What are some of the tangles that you're experiencing? How are you entangled in that? Now, I'm not talking about mistakes. See, all of us make mistakes. We have consequences for those mistakes. I'm talking about strongholds. I'm talking about uh, hurts, habits, or hangups that no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to overcome or get through these things in your lives. In fact, most strongholds are actually rooted in sin that entangles our relationship with God. It can entangle our relationship with other people or it entangles our relationship with ourselves. We've got this inner entangling that's going on and it lasts day after day and it may subside for seasons or moments, but it continues to rear its ugly head and my hope is on this day, you might find maybe for the first time in some of your lives, the opportunity to begin to be set free from the tangles that you're experiencing. See, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And your sin, your entanglement, your stronghold may be different than the person sitting next to you, but it's no less difficult, it's no less real, and it's no less challenging for us to be entangled by. And so are there struggles, strongholds, entanglements that you need to be entangled with? See, the story continues with Jesus that while he was still some distance away and he's outside of the boat, the man ran to him, this demon-possessed man, ran to him and he bowed towards him and this shriek, this scream comes out. And this is what he says. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, I am legion, for we are many. So he had multiple spirits that were entangling this man's life. In fact, there was a large herd of pigs that were feeding on the hillside nearby. And this, this demonic, numerous peepness demons said, please send us into those pigs. And Jesus said, go ahead. And those pigs entered 2,000 who then immediately plunged themselves down the steep hillside into the lake. And they all drowned in the water. Incredible. But the miracle was the man was set free. The miracle was he was no longer bound. He was no longer entangled. And I began to ask the question that I want to ask you, that I hope you're asking yourself, how, how do I get untangled? With these things that I can't seem to do on my own power, how could I get untangled? There seems to be a clear biblical process that's based on this passage and others in our Bibles. The first step is to admit that you are entangled. So you can't be set free from something until you know you're actually enslaved or chained by something. And so many of us can live in denial over and over and over. You want to have an honest conversation? Ask someone you love to be honest with you. If you're like, I got nothing that's entangling me, I'm good. I guarantee you, if you look to your right or to your left or you text somebody right now, they might say something differently. If you need some honesty in your life. 1 John 1.8 says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. 
See, some of the most obvious ones that gets mentioned about things that are being tangled, obviously this guy, well, you're demon-possessed, so obviously the whole crowds and the people in Jesus' day would be like, yeah, that guy, he's got issues. But I wonder if they've looked at themselves. See, in our culture, in our DNA, we might say things like, well, you might be entangled with drugs or alcohol or painkillers or pornography or adultery and the like, and you're tied up in those, those things, and that may be a real thing for you that you need to be set free from. But let me press in for just a few moments on things that may not readily come to the recesses of our mind. See, in Rooted, which is a 10-week experiential journey that I encourage all of you to go through when given the opportunity on a regular basis that we offer here at this church, one of the chapters that you get to go through is discussing this idea of strongholds, these things that entangle us on a regular basis. And so let me list you to some that might resonate with actually where you are right now. Maybe it's bitterness that has you entangled. Maybe it's towards someone or even a lack of forgiveness. You've experienced or caused relational pain and has got you all wound up. Can you admit, regardless of whose fault it is, that this is your entanglement? Maybe it's idolatry. Now, an idol is putting anyone or anything above God in your life. Can you identify that maybe every time you want to go deeper with him, every time you want to connect with him on a deeper level, you find yourself being gravitated toward the temptation of something that continues to become a higher priority in your life? Maybe it's your career pursuits or financial pursuits. In and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with that until it becomes more important than Jesus Christ. Maybe it's a relationship. See, sometimes the very gifts of God become the idols that replace him. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who've prayed for a job and God provides the job, but then the job takes them away from connection with him and other people. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to a gal who's prayed for a child and the, and the child comes in, but the child becomes the priority even more than God. That somebody's prayed for a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend and they get the spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend, but that very relationship takes them away. The very gift of God became the idol that actually replaces him. It's very easy in our lives. That could even mean caring more about our country than God's kingdom in our country. And there's a big difference between the two. See, maybe it's insecurity. That one doesn't seem to be talked about all that much. You don't seem to feel like you're enough as a spouse or a parent or leader or student or son or daughter or man or woman. Maybe it's in your position or role. It's this deep sense of feeling inadequate and it's got you tangled up on a regular basis. Or maybe it's as simple as pride. Now, pride is either consistently thinking or living or believing that you are actually better than others, but the not so obvious level of pride is when you don't allow other people to serve and help you in your times of need. When you refuse to admit that you have weakness or even admit that you're wrong, that's a form of pride as well. See, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but not just forgive us, but to cleanse us from all wickedness. See, we've got to admit that we are entangled. Can you identify even now where it is that you find yourselves entangled, whether you be now or on a regular basis? Because the second step then is to bring it to Jesus. It's to allow Jesus to untangle you. See, this guy who was demon-possessed, there was nothing he or other people could do to untangle him. He knew, he admitted, he readily was, was aware that he had issues in life, and he had to come to 
Jesus. See, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Or a continuation of the Hebrew passage in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 again, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. How? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's how we remain untangled. We gotta keep our eyes on him as soon as we take our eyes off him. It's funny how those things that we thought were no longer entangling us come right back and entangle us once again. And John 8, 36 says, so if the son sets you free, you are truly free. You know, one of the biggest things that Satan loves to do is to remind you that it's not true. And he tries to help create self-doubt to say, you know, I know you're free that one time, but look at you. Look what you're thinking. Look what you're processing. You're like, no, I can be set free. I am set free because Jesus set me free. Allow Jesus to come in, which leads us to the third part is we've got to get regular encouragement from others. So we admit that we've got an entanglement. We come to Jesus to allow him to do what we can't do ourselves, but we can't do it ourselves by ourselves. God wired us and created us with an absolute need to need one another on this journey, especially on a regular basis. People who know us, love us, and love Jesus. Galatians 6.1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome, entangled, by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourselves. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. See, sometimes when you get untangled, this is gonna sound hard and sometimes harsh. You're gonna actually have to need to put some relational distance between some of the people you know who don't help you in the entanglement area that you struggle with. And that can be so hard to be like, but you know yourself. You know if I continue to hang out with these people, it's not that we should not connect or hang out. God has told us to be in the world, to connect with people. But you know yourself. You know the temptations. You know the places that you're going to go, where you're going to find with these friends who are not helping you on the journey. They're actually being used unknowingly by the enemy to hinder your journey with him. That's going to be hard. That can be really, really difficult, which is why I want to always provide smaller environments that we call life groups here at Valley Real Life to help walk through and be honest because it's called Valley Real Life, this journey of faith. Now, on a side note, I need you to see something. For those of you who have been Christians for a long time, something that I have never seen before, and this is going to surprise most of you. Jesus is crossing the lake, and Jesus has calmed the storm, and Jesus gets onto the other side of the lake, and Jesus steps out of the boat onto the other side and engages with this guy and then engages with the crowd that comes and is fearful of what's going on in this situation. Here's my question for you. Who didn't get out of the boat? The disciples. None of the disciples at any point in this story got out of the boat. You wanna know why? Because this group of people was bad in their minds. See, this group of people that Jesus was hanging out with was not Jewish people. 
These were not even Samaritans, half Jewish and half Gentile people. These were the Roman people. These were the citizens who were morally corrupt. This was the people, this was the country. This was the bad people that they despised. And in their journey, it would be a sin. They were told by their religious leaders that not only are you not supposed to associate with these people, you're not to go to their city, their land, and to step out onto their land at their journey they didn't believe, they didn't know, they didn't trust, they didn't step out of the boat because they had a perspective. We're good, they're bad. And they stayed in the boat. And Jesus says, I'm gonna break that barrier. You see, the reason I say this is because one of the reasons we're entangled as a country is that we have done the same thing in our own lives. We have taken sides and we have tribed up And we have said, we, whatever we believe politically or racially or socially or economically or whatever, we're in the right and those people are in the wrong. And Jesus says, I'm going to be the person to model for you what it looks like to build a bridge to those people because those people are you people and those people are me people. That's what Jesus does is he crosses these boundary lines, not because he agreed with what the culture was doing, not because he ascribed and he was afraid that, oh my gosh, Jesus, if you associate, everybody's gonna think that you're associating with them, but he says, no, I'm gonna come because they need the good news as much as you do. And you're gonna learn one day that you're gonna need to get out of the boat in order to make a difference in somebody else's life. And so then we read in Mark chapter five, verse 18, as Jesus was getting back into the boat by himself, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So he says specifically, go to your family and tell them what I have done for you. That's not what this guy did. He didn't listen to Jesus. Notice what he did. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of the region and began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed at what he told them. He didn't keep it in the family. He says, I've got to share with everybody what Jesus has done for me. See, we've got to admit that we're tangled. We come to Jesus, and when Jesus untangles us, and we're in relationship with others that help us, we've got to share that news with other people. We've got to get out of the boat and be able to proclaim to all of these people. And what's interesting is if you go to Matthew chapter 4, Jesus later on goes to the same region, and guess what? There's an entire crowd who's not afraid of him any longer. There's a crowd that gathers around and wants to hear in some of his most successful ministry on earth where people came to believe in God happened because of this instance. The reason that's important is because for a revival to take place in America starts with one person. It starts by you examining yourself and me examining ourselves and asking this question, how has your life changed since Jesus set you free? People don't want information, they want proof of transformation. They wanna know what you were, what happened, and how the heck are you what you are today? 
because there's something different about you. There's something attractional about you. There is something that you cannot explain because you didn't do it. God did it in you. See, the greatest freedom that you and I can ever experience is what Jesus gives us. And so as we celebrate Independence Day, let us keep in mind the independence that we have in and because of Jesus. To untangle a nation means untangling a person. And when you untangle a person, you will untangle a family. When you untangle a family, you will untangle a neighborhood. When a neighborhood gets untangled, it'll untangle a city, a state, and a nation. It's not by blasting out and saying how bad people or America is. It starts with me and one person at a time, and you get to learn the greatest lesson, and the transformation takes place as we center once again, individually in a country, back on Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the way that you lead, the way that you guide, and the way that you're directing. I pray that you would just help us right now, whether we're online or whether we're on site, reveal to us the areas and we find ourselves continually entangled. Father, we confess that, we bring that to you. Help us, Father, to have the courage to share that with other people who can walk this graceful journey with us. And God, help us to have the courage to then share this with other people. God, I know it's how easy it is for me to share sports or share political views or share what I think about situations. Help us to be just as free and passionate and committed of sharing what you've done in our lives. And as we find ourselves entangled, Father, may that flame turn into a forest fire where people begin to latch on and are set free and that we would see people as you see them and we would become a people that impacts a nation for all eternity. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So for you, what is your response? Uh, your response could be, you know, uh, heading to the cross and saying, my first step is to come to Jesus. To say, I know my tangles, I know my sin, I know my struggles. I need something, someone beyond me, which is Jesus, to help me with me on this journey that we call life. I want to encourage you to make that known. Maybe that next step is being baptized. Maybe your next step tonight is going to be to actually be to tell somebody else. To say, you know what, I, I've been trying to keep this a secret, or I know that you're fully aware that I, and I want to go on a journey where I can truly be untangled so that I too can share my story with those who need to hear it as well. Will you stand with me as we sing the song together?